crimson oats, radish peas, I don't care. Name your poison. Good day, and welcome to Week Pete's Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, August the 1st, on this episode of The Word, from make it rain to make it stop, then some wheat woes with this wet weather, including hail injury on soybeans, on corn, trying to salvage some of this poor corn crop, the do's and the don'ts, the now of cover crops, yes, now is the time, how do we do it right, finish up at the end if I have time with a quick weed control question, let's go, first off, I have to start with a very somber note. Agriculture lost a true friend and advocate this past weekend. You may only have known her over social media, but Amy Matheson touched many people in a very positive way. She never hesitated to speak up and improve the perception of agriculture. She will be greatly missed. In the words of our own Real Agriculture's Lindsay Smith, Hug everyone you love today. They need to know you care and that you are there if they need you. And on a much brighter note, next week, lots of cool stuff starting to come up. So August 8th is Lambton Soil and Crops annual meeting. I will be there talking about strip till. I think there's some great demonstrations there. Lots of interest in strip till. It's one of those ways we really think we can move the bar forward. Then the next day, Thursday, August the 9th, Elgin Soil and Crop redoing the compaction action day from last year, September the 7th at Shaw Ridge Farms near Arthur. Not quite as big but some cover crop stuff some deep ripping stuff to try to ameliorate the effects of compaction plus lots of equipment there we will be measuring the impact of tires versus tracks duels versus single high pressure versus low pressure everything's loaded up and ready to go if you're interested at all in compaction i think august 9th is one of those days you absolutely cannot miss if you want to register for that compaction day just go to oscia.wildapricot.org if you don't register you're not going to get Get a meal. All right. A wet week. Man, last week was unbelievable. Last week on the word, I said glorious rainfall. Yeah. Wow. Some growers now up to nine inches in July. It's just once it starts, it often doesn't stop. We were worried about that. Meanwhile, other places have yet to get an inch. So, for, for example, Ray up on the North Shore got half an inch of rain, rain in June. He got one inch of rain so far in July. He says his soybean crop, you can draw an organic matter map. Even though it's been super dry where he's got really good organic matter, really good soil, his soybean crop has never looked better. Meanwhile, you get on the shallower areas of the field and those those soybeans are in tough, tough shape. Same is true in Ontario. We have some very tough corn crops. In fact, down along Lake Erie, we talked about pollination last week and that we thought the rain was in time. There is cornfields along Lake Erie that they did tassel before they silked. Remember, I talked about that tassel to silk interval last week. They tasseled before they silked. It stayed dry. The tassels actually shed their pollen and then they got rain. The silks came out. The silks are now six inches long and there's no pollen there to actually pollinate that crop. About the only thing you could try to do would be to get in there with a helicopter and stir things up and try to move around a little bit of pollen that was left and get some pollination happening. But the chances just simply are not very good. And with a wet week, 
Wheat harvest grinds to a halt. We're almost doing nothing, and the wheat quality just goes in the tank. Doggone it. So now we have Black Point reports all over the place. So Black Point and smudge and mildew, believe it or not, they're all generally caused by the same disease organism. So mostly it's alternaria. It could be Cladiosporum. There's another number of different fungi that can do it, but typically we blame alternaria. Black Point, that's the germ end of the kernel. We're seeing lots of that. That's a secondary saprophyte. It doesn't impact yield whatsoever, but that's the alternaria in that germ end of the kernel. If it moves up the kernel and into the crease of the kernel, we call that smudge. The more black you get, the more grading issue it is because it makes the flower go off color. Meanwhile, if you get that same alternaria with this wet weather that we've been having, the alternaria sometimes will grow on the brush end, so the end away from the germ end, that's mildew. And so we can get a grading factor from that mildew as well. And of course, all the black, when we're combining, now that we're getting a chance to run again, the combines are all turning black. Doesn't matter green, yellow, or red, they're all turning black. That's the alternaria growing on the glooms, and when you combine it, just creates dust, turns everything black. On that note, some pictures sent to me by Colin out of Nova Scotia. They had frost. Remember back at pollination time of the wheat crop, they had frost, and now what they're finding are wheat heads that are empty from that frost, or there'd be one floret, just one floret that set seed. It somehow escaped that frost that tells you how close the frost was to not doing damage versus doing significant damage. In fact, in Colin's case, where they applied the nitrogen six days earlier, that advanced that area of the field enough that it's badly damaged from the frost. The part of the field where they delayed nitrogen application for that six days is pretty much all pollinated. Wow, you would never expect that much difference. But wherever there's frost damage, of course, the heads are turning black. That's the same culprit, alternaria, growing on the glooms. Meanwhile, back in Ontario, yes, this wet week stopped harvest, and what happens? Test weight drops like a rock. Every time it rains, you lose a pound per bushel in test weight. The, the outer pericarp of the kernel wets up and wrinkles, and those microscopic wrinkles that you can't see just drop the test weight. Falling number drops, so falling number has dropped significantly, and worse yet, sprouts in the soft white winter wheat crop. Oh man, we've gone from the early harvested soft white winter wheat was amazing quality. Meanwhile, the soft white coming out of the field now, even though guys get there as quickly as they can, they're at 19, 18% moisture, but it's already falling number below 225 seconds. It's really a feed wheat crop now. Sprouts even starting to show in soft red and hard red winter wheat crops. So it just, it drives home this point. When it's 18% moisture the very first time and you have to grind it through to get it out of the field and you whine at me about pan drying charges, at least you have high quality wheat. Meanwhile, now we're still taking it out of the field at 16% moisture, 17% moisture. We're still paying the drying and doggone, now we have very much poorer quality. This waiting to harvest simply doesn't work. Anyway, back on sprouted wheat. So a question comes. Coming in, Peter. Sp- 
sprouted wheat, can I keep that wheat for seed? And the answer is, yes, you can. You need to clean it well, but generally speaking, that sprouted wheat, it'll dry down again. It might have an impact on vigor. You should do a vigor test, but we've used sprouted wheat for seed before. You can use that sprouted wheat. Having said that, gosh, what an opportunity to actually go and buy good quality certified seed, support the industry. I've been over that before. I won't go, I won't get on my pedestal again, but if you have poor quality wheat seed, maybe buying good quality certified seed would be a good option this year. Next question. Okay. So the wheat's off. I've got clover in there. You talk about spraying MCPA ester to control the flea bane in my wheat stubble, the, the glyphosate-resistant candida flea bane that we just have to keep on top of. What's the rate and does the, the size of the clover matter? So first off, of course, this is not labeled really, but you're, you're not spraying a crop. The clover is just a cover crop. And it, the rate is a half liter per acre of MCPA ester. It must be ester. Mike Cobra did this work. If you use amine, MCPA amine will just do far too much damage to the clover. In Mike's work, it really didn't seem to matter how big the clover was. The ester will wilt it down, go away for a couple of weeks. It will look a little bit tough and it may not kill all the flea bane, but it will stop the flea bane from setting seed. And that's what we need to do. So that half liter per acre of MCPA ester in that red clover to try and keep ahead of that glyphosate resistant flea bane. Meanwhile, hail, gosh, wild weather. I sat in my truck in one of those hailstones. Some of the hailstones the size of walnuts. Wow, I wondered if you were going to smash the window. But that does very significant injury to the crop. So one grower saying he walked to his wheat field, tremendous hail, three seeds per square inch on the ground. That's his average that he estimates. How much yield loss does that work out to? So it really depends on seed size, right? How many seeds per pound? So there's a range. At the end of the day, pretty much all small seed this year because of the dry weather. So I would say 22 bushels per acre would be my guess at yield loss with three seeds per square inch. That's a true ouch. If it's bigger seed, it could be up to 30 bushels per acre. That that hurts. There's no question. Another grower with an inch of rain in 10 minutes and lots of hail saying, hey, Peter, do my soybeans, do they need a fungicide immediately? How does that all shake out when you get that hail on my soybeans? And so most of the time in that situation, when we apply a fungicide, we don't see any more benefit than is if you you have a good crop you apply a fungicide to. Once in a while, you can see a bigger impact, but it's pretty tough. If you had an inch of rain in three in 10 minutes and it's wet to get out there that quickly, it's not something that we mostly think is an immediate need in that scenario. Corn. What about hail on corn? So a caller saying the top half of the stock is broken off on some of the field. It was hailed that badly. It was just tasseling. And he's asking, what is the yield impact of that? Well, in actual fact, less than you think. Oh, it's going to have a, a significant impact for sure, but still less than you think as long as there's still enough plant there with the half plants that a cob will come out and silk and as long as there's enough of the corn left that will still put out tassel and shed pollen. So one thing about our hybrids today, they put out a whack of pollen. So even if you have 10% of the plants that put out a tassel, the rest of the plants all make a cob, then at least you will get a cob. You don't have as much material there to actually make yield, but you're still going to do better than you think. And just while I'm on that, we did talk last week about the yield potential of this drought-stressed corn. Talking with Greg Stewart, the corn guru from Mazex Seeds, and 
And Greg said, you know, Peter, you might be a little optimistic on 85% with some of that short corn, but one of the best ways to actually go out and, and assess that is stem diameter. So if you can compare the stem diameter, stem diameter relates really well to yield. So as you're walking those drought damaged cornfields, that's another way to get out there and have that thought process around how that works. By the way, short corn. So I talked about this short corn and that it would have decent yield potential and Greg agrees with that and he says what happens with the short corn is that we actually get a a higher harvest index the cob will be proportionally higher than than it is in a taller plant so you can get harvest index of 60 percent so 60 percent grain 40 percent stover in the big tall plants it's more like 50 50 that's generally the, the rule of thumb so that helps with that whole drought stressed kind of thought process meanwhile a grower says hey peter so this short corn that's going to yield well wow do they do research on that because I I grow silage and I'm trying to fatten beef cattle and I really want a high energy silage and I want that that higher grain to stover ratio do they do research on that and my answer is no uh, they don't do research on that you just as you're trying already to do cut your stover high and and pick a short hybrid with high grain yield that will absolutely give you that that higher energy silage that you're chasing okay salvage corn two callers Perry he had corn that he thought was done and and it's still not great. I mean, only the top two or three leaves are still green, but got rain? starting to tassel. Perry's saying, wow, that's better than I thought. I'm going to leave it. Let's see what it does. Cool, Perry. Meanwhile, Nathan, two-foot tasseled corn. And his question is, if I pasture it, if I green chop it, I sell it to a neighbor, is it got any negative impact if I grow wheat after that corn crop? And my answer would be only the fact that always Fusarium loves corn residue. So if you're going to grow wheat, Get all of the stover you can off the field. Not that it will solve the whole problem, but it certainly will help. And also, make sure you grow a moderately resistant wheat variety and spray it with a fusarium fungicide. My last note for anyone who's thinking about doing that, when you get rain, as long as it stays dry, nitrates in the silage are no worry. As soon as you get rain, that's when the corn plant sucks up a bunch of that nitrogen fertilizer that you put on it, and that's when nitrates in the silage become an issue or in the crop become an issue. So pay attention to that. We don't want any issues around that. One other quick note. I talked about potato leaf hopper in edible beans last week. A caller called in and said, hey, Peter, alfalfa as well. Potato leaf hopper in alfalfa that is well over threshold. So absolutely scout, spray if needed. All right, finish up here on cover crops. So Rick sent me a question. I, I love this. Made me go through the thought process. He's got thin variable clover. His question, okay, I want to go in there and thicken that clover up where it's thin. Do I use crimson clover? Over? Do I use oats, radish, peas? What's the best species? And do I no-till it? Do I broadcast it? When do I seed it? And so as you go through that thought process, if you want the nitrogen credit, it's crimson clover. That's it, full stop. If the focus isn't strictly on a uniform nitrogen credit across the field, most of us would just go plant oats. We're after a good root system. We're after some organic matter. The beauty of the oats is that they will never come where there's thick clover And they'll come like crazy where there's thin clover. So they sort of self-regulate. That's all good. But in any case, crimson oats, radish, peas, I don't care. Name your poison. Just do it. Get it planted. Now, the next question is, no-till or broadcast? Well, if you're going to broadcast, you have to double the seeding rate. In many cases, that means that no-tilling it actually is about the same dollars invested 
that as broadcast. Not always, but you can do the math. The other thing I love about no-till is it gives you an opportunity to apply phosphorus fertilizer. You can do that through the drill, get it in the ground. It's a great way to apply that phosphorus fertilizer. Then the when. Do I do it now? Do I do it later? And the answer is do it now. You are going to capture so much more sunlight energy with that cover crop growing in August than you are if you wait to plant and you only capture the sunlight in the last half of September and October. If you're worried about too much top growth, then about the end of September or the 10th of October, just take it out and give it the chance to break down in the wet, cool conditions of the fall. Don't let it die naturally. If you let oats die naturally, they might be there next year and cause a problem. Nick, you asked about biostrips. No oats in biostrips. It's daikon radish or it's peas or a combination of the two, something with a really low carbon to nitrogen ratio that's going to break down and not be there in the spring to plant into. Look at that! Yet again, I am out of time! That's it, that's all. On behalf of the team here at RealAgriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, August the 1st. Leave us lots of questions. We'll have lots to talk about again next week, and we will talk to you then. Bye now.